Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of Next on the Platform. This week, a uh, special episode, I'm on with my coach, Scott. Uh, Scott and I have been working together for, how long has it been now, Scott? Ooh, it would have been just before your 18th birthday, a couple months before that, I think. So, mm. what's that, about 18 months? About, oh, about 13, about 13 months now. Uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. Um, I don't. I kind of keep Scott on the down low. I don't. I don't uh, show him off like most uh, most athletes do, uh, purely because he's not a full time powerlifting coach. But instead, Scotty. Introduce yeah. <clears throat> instead of physiotherapist, um, I guess I probably have myself somewhere between the two. Like, um, I obviously coach for Declan and and really enjoy coaching um, as well. But my primary sort of space is working with athletes and coaches more as a consultant role um, so someone they can send their athlete to if they're getting injuries or if they've got niggles something like that so I guess a sounding board someone who's coming from maybe more of a um, rehab space um, as opposed to a performance space and just trying to sort of work in that medium um, I've been a physio for nine years now I think it is eight or nine years um, and my, my passion um, obviously lies in strength sports um, that's developed purely from my own interests and hobbies um, and, and obviously as time has gone on I've sort of parlayed that more into being sort of my focus now where I probably have I don't know maybe 60% of my clients would be strength-based athletes um, still see gen pop stuff obviously but um, yeah it's probably tipping more and more towards that sphere these days. And how long have you been powerlifting? Because I know it's been a while. Um, well, I guess officially powerlifting in terms of competing um, and training specifically for competitions has been three or four years now. Um, I, I like to make going to the gym dates all the way back to when I was like 13. But I, I sort of say that I was taking training seriously when I was about 20, roughly 2021. 20, I was training for rugby. Um, and that was when, like, since that point, I, I really haven't stopped training, you know, yeah. I haven't probably taken more than like, you know, a couple of days off the gym since that point. Um, yeah, but, that, but in terms of powerlifting specific training, yeah, about four years. Yeah. Awesome. So actually when we started working together, uh, I actually got onto you cause I was talking to Abe, um, one of the boys from uh, Australia and he said that. Uh, Scott was getting into programming and obviously I know Scott through family. So I thought, oh yeah, and this was just about the, around the time that I was getting into strength training because I was making that transition from like typical gym bro to like having a specific focus. Um, and so I messaged Scott and I, and I can't remember exactly, but I pretty much said, hey, uh, I'm getting into powerlifting. Like, would you want to uh, program for me at the time? I didn't really understand how it worked like with having a coach. So I was just like, hey, would you like do a program for me? I think initially I asked for a six-week program. Um, and you yep. will, and I specifically remember you saying, I don't really like doing six-week programs. Uh, and obviously because as we learned during that program, volume is super individual. Uh, and and I barely made it through squats. Um, but, <laughs> but after yeah. the six-week program, we went weekly, uh, as most athletes are. And that was about a year ago. So... I've had uh, three comps now under Scott. Uh, first one was in the IPF Federation and two since then in the Better Federation. Uh, but um, 
you getting yeah, tested so, over in that federation? Yeah, in the, in the tested federation. <laughs> um, so we thought we would just do this episode and run through uh, how training has been for me. Obviously, I just competed, um, but also uh, some bigger ideologies because you guys on here always hear me talking about um, training conservative and undershooting and all that. So I thought uh, I would do this episode and give you guys more of an idea what I'm actually talking about. Um, the first thing that we were going to talk about was the pre-comp blocks. So the blocks that we did volume um, over the last six months before my actual prep um, and how they all built up to that prep and how that all worked and specifically about the volume stuff. Uh, so before, yeah. before prep, and I'll let you talk about it, Scott, um, but before prep we did four months of volume and yeah, right. and I'll let you talk about it. Um, yeah, I think this is a really um, important aspect to talk about. Like, as you said, we wanted to discuss your comp prep and the results and what we did to sort of achieve that, which is you know, what we should talk about as well. But ultimately that was prefaced by like a massive period of time, sort of four or five months or so, where it was just trying to establish for you what your body could handle. Um, we, you know, we knew what we were trying to achieve. You know, you're young, you're tall, we're trying to fill out a weight class. So the primary objective was hypertrophy. Uh, but we were having issues essentially trying to manage your three lifts and, and manage the amount of volume, um, particularly lower back related. It was, you know, the biggest, biggest, biggest aspect. Um, and essentially, you know, we drive one lift and then that would tank another lift and vice versa. And essentially, we ended up sort of running a bit of a, a structure where it was about three working sets of deadlifts a week, you know, which most people would think is extremely low. And even I thought it was extremely low. And, I was hesitant to go that low. But. And I'll interject. Um, most people, if you're, if we're speaking in terms of hypertrophy, um, the common thing that I, as I'm reading eBooks and stuff is it's always like 10 to 20 working sets. They always say hypertrophy per week, 10 to 20 working sets. Um, I recently watched a Steve Denova video where he had an athlete on 12 working sets of deadlifts per week or something like that. So in comparison to, and as you're watching this, think about how many sets you do, um, but three was incredibly low and it was the lowest I'd ever done, but yeah. it yielded the best results and, and I'll let you keep going. Yeah. So I think the re, so that was essentially trial and error. You know, we were, we were seeing how beat up you were and then shifting accordingly and, Ultimately, the reason I think that structure works is because, so we would do very low volume in terms of actual competition deadlifts. And then we were having a fairly large amount of what you would describe as squat accessories or, you know, lower limb accessories, hypertrophy exercises, um, tailored still towards your weaknesses without a doubt, but more generic in terms of what you're doing in the gym. I think the reason that worked is because you are still struggling to sort of use your posterior chain as an entire entity when you're deadlifting. And so you're using your lower back a lot more, um, which is really strong for you. But, you know, you would think we were thinking of that as three working sets, but really like your lower back's doing heaps of the work. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, double, triple that amount of volume or, you know, whatever the equation is. So, it just wasn't working out to do anything more than that. And it was just essentially limiting you. So the idea was to give you enough that you technically could do the lifts, but essentially derive all of our hypertrophy and our, our 
benefits in terms of muscle mass gain from other movements. Mm. And I think um, the, the thing we saw when, I, when we go back to that six-week program, so when Scott first started coaching me and he had no idea about my volume capacity, um, we, we, I think we ran like a four by, it, it got down to like week six or whatever, and it was like a three by five. And I think it was at like three plates on squat. Um, and I barely got through the first set. And obviously that's really low. Uh, and you predicted that I would have done a lot better. Um, and I remember during that six week block texting you and be like, oh, my lower back is so sore. Like, um, I barely, you know, I could barely do a leg press and, and we soon, ca- we soon came to realize that not only was my volume capacity low, but also, um, just the way that I'm built with my hips and my lower back and my hamstrings and that, that positioning is hard for me. And at the time on squats, I would like shoot my knees back and it would load up my lower back, uh, on deadlifts, um, probably said oh, I was definitely setting too high on deadlifts and just barely any hamstrings cause there was no knee flexion and all that sort of thing. Um, so not only was I being tanked because uh, we didn't realize at the time that my volume capacity was low, but just because of how I was built and um, how inefficient I was in the lifts, that was adding to it as well. So it was like the two things that squats and deadlifts were sort of tanking each other. And bench went really well. From memory, bench went really well. Um, we've never had a problem with bench uh, three times a week now. But yeah, it was like the combination of those two things, I think, for squats and deadlifts at least. Yeah, and, and, and you know, <clears throat> it seems easy on paper to do that. And every time you, your lower back was getting tired, we'd obviously adjust the volume. We'd try shorter blocks, um, alter it that way. But um, we even sort of altered your squat to, to favor that. So, you know, we don't do it. Well, we didn't do a great deal of low bar at all. It was all sort of quad dominant based movements um, to try and drive your intensity that way. Um since that point, we've also been running exercises to try and improve your efficiency in the deadlift secondary to that, mm. um, as opposed to trying to drive it in the actual lift itself, just because we just weren't having success with that. So I think we went all the way back to like just the barbell RDLs and just trying to get in control yep. of pelvic position while he performs that movement. And I mean, that, that alone took like four weeks yeah. for you to actually get hamstring doms from RDLs. Yeah, I so maybe even longer. I think we've been doing, I mean, a year ago, I think we started doing, because I requested, because I did um, snatch grip. And I was like, hey, can we, as an accessory, do snatch grip? And you are like, well, you can do snatch grip RDLs. And I wasn't happy about that at the time, obviously, because uh, RDLs weren't my favorite exercise. But uh, looking back now, after like 12 months of doing that hinge movement, uh, and we just seen it pay off for the first time, which we'll talk about after in the, uh, about my competition but um, yeah so it took me like almost a full year to learn how to hinge and even now I struggle with it even now uh, a two plate RDL is heavy for me um, because I have to focus so much on the form and and the way I think like uh, I don't know how to describe it like anatomically but when I'm doing an RDL I have to uh, put my lower back into what feels like hyperextension but when you watch it back in the video, it's just it, like neutral. To me, it feels like I'm really, really extended and I have to uh, tilt my pelvis down, uh, like you said, um, to try to you actually use my hamstrings. Uh, and, and, and it feels like, you know, I'm crazy extended and, you know, doing like a perfect RDL. But then when you watch the video back, I'm barely neutral. Um, so what feels like a good RDL to me 
what I would imagine would be a good RDL may only just be like an average, averagely efficient lift. Um, so after after about eleven months of doing secondary movement as a hinge, so snatch grip RDL, and now we're on to normal RDLs. Uh, a few weeks ago, I did that good set that I told you about, and it was like the first good set where my lumbar was neutral, um, the bar path was consistent, and I actually had really good hamstring uh, engagement. So for for someone else, might you know, uh, they might nail hamstrings on the first week, they might nail their RDLs the first time they do them, but it took me uh, took me almost a whole year. Yeah, it was um. It's probably the longest I've seen <laughs> that I actually take. Um, but in saying that, it's also um, also online, you know. So it's 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 a little bit more difficult to give feedback, you know, when you're not face to face. But um, yeah, the process definitely worked. And um, yeah, I would say again, it's probably that a less common sort of profile of lifters. Most lifters tend to sort of be stuck too much in that position and spend too much time extended whereas you're actually quite the opposite mm. um so yeah trying to work you into that position particularly with um particularly with deadlift movements mm. yeah it's and so recently um well on that topic we saw uh so the block before prep uh, we started hitting some better rdls they were better they weren't great um <clears throat> and then in the early stages of prep so we had a, a seven or eight week i can't remember prep um, in the early stages of prep, that's when I nailed that RDL. Uh, and I say nailed, probably di- different definitions for me and you, but I nailed it for me. And then we saw my deadlift quickly move to the best it's ever been. And obviously it was a combination of re- uh, dropping volume. But I think the RDLs definitely helped uh, because we could actually load the hamstrings and some for someone who trains in the home gym, obviously I don't have a hamstring curl, so that was the best way to do it. And then we saw my deadlift quickly pick up, and more so than my other lifts, uh, really took off from in prep. The other you know, squat and bench went into prep like how I would have expected, but as soon as we got into prep, deadlifts picked up heaps and ended up being the best lift on the day. Yeah, and I think you know for me watching you lift, like I've always said that's going to be your biggest lift um, just because mm. of the way you're built, even though you're not using your hamstrings as efficiently, like you're built for it. It's just a mm. case of trying to unlock it. I think. And I, and I didn't, I, I didn't believe you when you said it. Uh, I always no, thought, no, no I'll be, <laughs> I never believed it. And I always thought, no, I'll be a better bencher. And arguably I think right now my bench is probably better than my deadlift, but now I'm starting to believe you uh, in saying that the deadlift will be better eventually. Mm. Yeah, I think, you know, where you're at now and your age in particular, like big bench presses at young ages aren't very common. So um, I do think that at the moment that's proportionally your biggest lift. But I, I, yeah, I can see that changing for sure. Mm. And I'm, Particularly happy, like, I'm happy to be a deadlifter. It's, I think it's the best lift. I'm happy for it to take off eventually. Yeah, look, I wish I was in that category as well because <laughs> it's easily the best for your total. Yeah. Um, so that would, yeah, that would be comforting for sure but um yeah that i mean that entire lead up you know four to six months worth of training essentially got like a formula that we knew was going to work for you for that 12 week prep and that was that was super important because you you know you can you can take a rough guess at what people are going to be able to handle coming into a prep but really 
you need that six month period but any coach no matter how good they are needs that period to understand what that person can do so they can push them to their mm. limits essentially without breaking them and and you know that's what we needed to figure out for you coming into this one mm. and one of the things in particular um bench during that period bench was uh pretty standard like we were making progress there was not really an issue at all um but uh for someone who could squat 200 kilos plus in competition i was doing low 100 kilo uh safety bar squats so um i I remember the first week we were on 125 kilo safety bar which is like 275 pounds um and you know just for like a three by seven uh and at the time you know obviously there's a little bit of ego in with myself personally um but just with everyone and so to do reps that were that low uh, at the time and it wasn't even a comp lift and so eventually we built that up over to the point where I um, could have repped I think it was like 185 or four plates on the safety bar to the by the end of that block um, I could have done like a double at four plates so we made massive progress particularly uh, in the quads and over the last six months that's something that I think has helped take away my lower back fatigue because uh, we've my quads have grown, so I don't have to shift back as much in the squat and load up my lower back. I can stay forward, and even we saw in competition under like an RPE 10 squat, uh, I didn't shoot back, which is the the biggest issue that I did have, and uh, I would have for sure said that it was uh, contributing to that lower back soreness. But since, and just logically, like we loaded up the quads, it took pressure on, off the lower back. And so over a period of six months, we saw even though squat uh, was the smallest jump in PR. It was probably the biggest, or if not one of the biggest, technique um, changes that we made. And it was not actually through changing technique, but through focusing on what needed uh, attention at the time, which was the quads. Yeah, and I think what's important to note with the quad aspect and that too is that <clears throat> we took a big emphasis on your center of mass position. So we made those squats a narrower stance squat um, and we also emphasized you starting the lift in your midfoot to forefoot rather than sitting heels. your weight on your heels. Yeah. And so essentially it is your quads, like you are loading your quads more, but if you just think about like the same hip hinge mechanic, but instead of starting like your body like this, you're starting essentially with your center of mass further forward. Mm. So when you hit that sticking point coming up out of the hole, you're underneath the bar essentially, cause you're going to have a difficulty squatting a heavy weight if when you slow down and that's inevitable you're going to slow down when you hit a heavy squat your mechanics can allow you to sort of drive through that and that's the issue that we had is essentially the weight was back the knees had come back the body would come forward yeah and your lower back is strong enough to do that until it can't do that mm. you know so it's, it just hits a wall and that's where you need that and that's what you said with the technical pr because that was probably the most grindy I think I've seen you squat in a competition, which is actually good because you hit that point when you slow down, your center of mass stayed forward and you mm. drove up through the bar rather than mm. buckling forward. Yeah, and even then, like, um, and when we do get to the talking about the comp, we can talk about how the approach with squats is always conservative. But um, yeah, so I'm yet to do an RP10 squat in a meet. Uh, and we'll talk about why, but 
um, we still haven't really seen that RPE10 since we fixed the shifting issue. I mean, you saw uh, when we did the uh, pretend competition at your clinic, um, you saw we saw that failed 200 kilo squat where uh, hit the hole, the first thing to come out were the knees rather than the glutes. So knees came out of the hole first, all the way back, bar comes all the way forward. I can't even try to, you know, I can't even try to fight it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that was, I think, about a year ago we failed that. And I think that was probably the last time that I failed. I definitely failed a squat from that issue. But since then, and you would have noted it, I noted it too, we, we put that focus on the quads. Um, and yeah, like you said, I'm not a squat specialist and um, it, it only was a 15 kilo jump in six months, which is still huge. Um, yeah, but was Boz and you know, bench jumped 25 kilos. So if you can see the, I mean, the bench PR should never be bigger than the squat PR, but that's just how it works for me. Um, and so once we fix that quad issue, squats weren't loading the lumbar as much. Uh, then we could focus more on because, and oh, and because I was, um, squatting Monday and deadlifting Friday, um, I think it's important for people to know that if I was loading up too much lumbar on the Monday on the squats, come Friday after two bench sessions, uh, the back is pretty fatigued, especially when you're arching. So that would have been a, an issue contributing to the deadlifts was that fatigue from Monday. And I messaged Scott and I said, "Hey, what do you think about swapping deadlifts to Monday? Uh, I think if yeah, we had, so I think, yeah. So I think if we had kept squats on Monday, um, maybe I would have made more progress on the squat." But I wanted to program. I wanted to focus on deadlifts um, and bench, and that has worked fantastically. And it just, uh, I think, deadlifting on a Monday now is probably the best thing for us as well. Um, but yeah, so it just came down to what we needed to prioritize, and we got onto it pretty quickly, and we fixed it uh, in in a, in a couple of blocks. Um, and, yeah, I think. And there's been like I've had no issues with it since. Yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been huge for you. I think um, that switch as well. <clears throat> whatever, you know, we, it's important to focus on, you know, the fatigue someone carries over a block, but also the fatigue within a week. So, you know, you're going to have periods in that week based off your rest days and based off your lifestyle about which days you're going to recover more and feel better. And you know, most people it's the weekend. You know, most people are going to not work on the weekend, feel better. So Monday, Tuesday training sessions are probably going to be better. That's obviously can be different if you have a different schedule, but in your case, that was the case. So, you know, we want to put that priority at the start um, and, you know, sure there is a little bit of a loss when it comes to the squats at the end in terms of that fatigue. But I think we had more ability to alter what we did with mm. that and still produce what we wanted to produce. Mm. Um, we could always change that over time, but at the moment, that's working pretty well. I think it was also in the, in the way that deadlifts are done on Monday. Uh, so the, the hardest, the most fatiguing day for me was done. And then for the rest of the week, we just did what we can. And I think that works better than having deadlifts on a Friday and trying to guess what you can do through the week before deadlifts. You might do yeah, too little, yeah. you might do too much, and then you come to deadlifts and it's like, oh, I feel this today. Uh, I think for me, it's been like mentally better with, this is how tired I'm going to be for the rest of the week, I'll do my best, rather than like, how hard should I push these, uh, this secondary back day 
because I know I have deads on Friday. What if I'm too fatigued? And so now I can sort of get the hard stuff out of the way uh, and smash my accessories as hard as I want um, without having that fear of, oh, how am I going to feel? Is my back going to be sore? And blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a pretty good way to think about it as well from the athlete perspective as it gives you the ability to control the RPE. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and so after those blocks, we jumped into prep. Uh, I think it was seven. I think it was an eight-week prep. Uh, right at the start, I said, hey, what do you think? Oh, so the story was uh, one week before prep started, I had uh, six rep max test, six rep max, max test, sorry. Um, and because of the situation I was in, I ended up doing bench and deadlifts both on a Monday. And my arch felt better after deadlifting uh, rather than benching the next day when I was tired. So usually I bench Tuesday, this day I benched Monday after deadlifts and I thought, oh, this actually feels really good even though I stuffed up the set really badly because I hit the rack and you, you remember that that 145 where I hit the rack and almost crushed myself. Um, yeah. But my arch felt better so I messaged Scott and I said, hey, what do you think about this? My arch feels better uh, and I think the reason for me and for that was because of my thoracic rounding in the deadlift. Uh, obviously fatigues the upper back muscles more than I would imagine having a neutral upper back and so by Tuesday, I can feel, oh, they're really sore. And I go to Arch and you're, uh, you, they've been pulled into flexion on Monday. And then you try to put them into extension on Tuesday for the Arch. And it just wasn't working as well, uh, particularly when deadlifts got harder. So I said, hey, can we bench on Monday? We started doing that during prep. And that went fantastic. Um, bench was, I hit a bigger bench PR then I did deadlift PR. So obviously bench went really well. Um, what we, when I asked you that, were you sort of iffy about it or did you also agree that it was a good idea? Uh, it was definitely a good idea. Um, I think it was a good idea for where it was in relation to your competition. So we took essentially your top set and put them on one day and then we put your accessories on another day. Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly what you said, I think the fatigue and hasn't set in to the same degree it does the next day. You know, you're not feeling DOMS, you're not feeling super sore. So you can get into your bench better. Um, I don't know if that strategy will work in, say, a strength block or a hypertrophy block because I think then having to train leg stimulus two days in a row will torture accessories on the second day. But because we were doing an eight-week prep, those accessories were essentially starting to drop into maintenance and then eventually sliding off. So from that aspect, I think it worked a lot better to to prioritize your top sets. Um, we'd already done, you know, six months of hypertrophy. So I think mm. it was perfect for where it was. I also really wanted to see you benching under fatigue. So that was the other concern that I had. You were going to squat on the squat bar mm. and you know, we're smoking all of these bench PRs, but as you, as you know, it's a different beast when you're a little bit tired after like a mm. RP nine, 9.5 squat and getting in under the, I know under a lot bench. of people who watch are probably IPF competitors. If you haven't used a squat bar, um, I think it's 10 mil thicker and it has less whip than a, an, a like a rogue power bar. So, uh, because I'm a, like I have a bigger upper body, uh, squatting low bar, you know, puts a lot of pressure. I've got tight forearms, tight chest. So, um, you know, a lot of pressure on the shoulders, elbows, and wrists. And going from 
you know squatting to the you know if uh if for instance even if the bar rolls half a centimeter on my back at any point that's just incredible pressure on my upper body so to go from a squat uh to then a bench where you where for me arching is already hard i already have to work really hard for my arch because it's naturally not there like some other people's are um that is really fatiguing and as we saw on the day uh my last heavy bench single was 170 and it was probably RP9. And then in comp, even with the peak, 170 was an RP10. And you can't expect it. Obviously, I didn't expect I didn't expect to hit PRs. I would have liked to. Um, but yeah, so that then we saw it really, the fatigue set in after using the squat bar. And we ended up grinding out my third attempt on bench at 170, which is still a 25 kilo uh, competition PR. Um, but yeah, so that, that benching under fatigue was really important. I think if I hadn't have benched after deadlifts on a Monday throughout prep, uh, I don't think I would have been able to grind that cause I was, you know, I was getting used to that warming ups, warm ups feel a little bit tired cause I just did deadlifts. And so I was really used to that and especially the mental part of it, because as you would remember from the start of prep, I was like, you know, bench isn't moving it, probably for the first five weeks, I was like bench, you know, kind of slow. Like I took 155 at RP8 or whatever. And so I was kind of a bit iffy and uh, mentally it was really hard. But then we saw that last heavy single without that deadlift fatigue went really well. And the peak worked really well for bench. But I think, yeah, if I had a kept benching on a Tuesday, I don't think I don't think I would have benched 170 like I did. I think it may have psychologically thrown you off. I don't know, you know, if it makes a huge difference necessarily physiologically, but as you said, mentally and preparing to do something in that condition is super mm. important. So it definitely was um, a better thing. And, and for me too, thinking about his numbers, it made me feel better about choosing those numbers otherwise. So, yeah. which is important because it is a sport, right? So, there wasn't obviously a lot of competition for you in your age group and weight class and stuff on that day, but there will be at some point. So, um, yeah, being able to nail those third attempts is super important. For that. Mm. And that's one thing that I definitely have mentioned on the podcast before. It's like, uh, at the end of the day, our goal is to go nine for nine. We didn't go in with, you know, I went in wanting to total 650. Uh, we did, but uh, let's say squats underperformed. I wasn't going to load something ridiculous on deadlifts for my third attempt just to get to 650. So, you know, if I had a squatted only 220, I wasn't going to end up going and loading 260 because it just wouldn't have been there. Uh, to me, nine for nine is always more important than the total goal. I mean, unless, and, and there's a there's a stage where that swaps around where you're super competitive. But for me, and what I keep saying is, if you aren't competitive, don't cut weight, don't, you know, take stupid third attempts i'm not there's no one to compete against uh there's not many 110 kilo 18 19 year olds in australia so there wasn't really anyone to compete against so at the end of the day it was about experience learning how to go nine for nine as best i could and and we did we went nine for nine i think i got one red light the whole time uh, and that was for bench yeah the bench yeah i think they called you on your right elbow mm. i think a bar dip uh yeah. from memory but i think it I think personally just stopped, but it gets a little bit. Uh, mm. and, and yeah, I, I can understand why. Yeah, 
and I didn't really care at the time. Um, but yeah, so we went 26 for 27 white lights, uh, which is another achievement in itself. Last comp, I went 27 for 27. Uh, and the comp before that, I went 8 for 9. So we're 8 for 9, 9 for 9, and 9 for 9. Uh, and I like to continue this trend. We always talk about training conservatively rather than overshooting. We'd like to undershoot. Uh, and that's paid off big time in the injury realm of training because for since I've been with Scott, I'm injury free. And I saw, and even when I say injury, I mean even little strains. There's been none. Like no strain here, bicep, whatever. I've been completely good. Uh, and it's I think it's due to the undershooting all the time still making big gains, but just conservatively keeping in the back of the head, uh, you know, is it really worth overshooting, potentially overshooting today? And I'm always thinking ahead and that's just based, and I think that comes from Scott uh, as a clinical physio. Uh, the His focus is obviously injury prevention or uh, rehab. So it sort of has carried on to me where I'm not thinking, what weight could I hit today? I'm thinking like, what weight could I hit today safely without risking injury and without overshooting? And I think that's one thing that I don't see enough of in teen lifters is um, the choosing to undershoot. I think most people rather overshoot, unfortunately, and that leads to injury. Um, but yeah, I think that's carried down from Scott. And obviously we went the whole prep without injury. Um, but one of the things that we did introduce during this prep that we hadn't done before was weekly singles. And uh, I know why we didn't do them, but I'd like to ask you, Scott, how come we didn't do uh, weekly singles? And some coaches do. I know a lot of the Flex boys, uh, Joey Flex's athletes, they do weekly singles. How come you, and I think I've asked before and you said no, how come we didn't start doing it until this prep? um well i'm not against them like they obviously work and have their place and we end up doing it so i'm not completely against mm. them at all but <clears throat> i feel that for most of the time most lifters who are novice and intermediate lifters you're extracting most of your gains from simply putting on muscle mass mm. and filling out a weight class like most of the time not, not all the time but so i feel like you know unless yeah, I feel like most of that time you are just simply hitting a number to check where you're at and then calculating your back offs from that, which is not the worst way to do it. But for me, those gains are coming from that back offs. So if I can figure out how much you're doing on that, well, I can do a little bit more work in that middle ground mm -hmm. um, to take try and out. essentially, yeah, take the single out. Um, now, if you're way off and you, you, know, you can't figure out where to get the volume to, and to calculate that intensity, then I would use a top single to figure that out. And that's what we did with your deadlifts earlier than the other lifts because we're having trouble figuring out how much you could sort of handle. Um, but as I said, most of I feel like those gains are being attributed to a single when in reality they're really the back off work. And I'm sure those boys like Joey Flex and all that know that. I'm not pointing anything out that they're not well aware of. Um, and they're also you know, there's a time and a place. So if you're working obviously with more elite lifters, you could definitely justify it even more so. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of why we avoided it. And I also sort of wanted to establish like a really strong base for you. You know, you've only been training for a handful of years. And I feel like the more time we can spend, you know, just volume, 
getting, yeah, just getting in volume and not ridiculous volume, but just getting in time and volume and putting on muscle mass, filling out your weight class, you know, you're six, three, six, two. So it's like, yeah. So I just feel like as much effort and, and um, time and energy in that range has been the most valuable for you. Um, and I feel like that's the case with most people, definitely not all, but I would say most. Um, but as you alluded to as well, we changed that approach actually coming into the competition because then I think it has a stronger emphasis and a better um justification when you get in that last period and i think if we compare if we go back to my comp at the end of last year in august we didn't do weekly singles we did like more like a linear uh sort of peak where we we definitely did a couple of singles uh and but it was more like starting with triples and then we had like a heavy double and then there was a couple of singles and then obviously the taper singles and then the comp um and we and that was a great comp as well still nine for nine but i think uh comparatively now with the weekly singles prep uh tech we made like technique gains as well um i was much more yep. comfortable i was much more comfortable grinding that 170 than i was grinding the 145 back in august uh so i think the obviously the technique aspect of the weekly singles paid off heaps but like you said i can only handle about like we were doing three sets of deadlifts per week and that and i was making gains with that so like you said uh, in the off season, there was no reason for me to hit a top single and then do back offs because maybe I would have only made it through two sets or one and a half sets of back downs. And, and like, I do agree that the gains all came from volume. Uh, I'm still, um, I'm a light 110. I only weighed in at 108. And that was with like heaps of food the day before. So I think I'm a pretty light, like 107, I guess. Um, and so we still have. Uh, you know, I could probably fill out this class, this 110 for another year before I needed to move up. Yeah. So uh, there was more of a benefit because in the long run, we're not, I'm not looking to uh, go as hard as I can in these competitions now. And to be completely honest, I'm only competing because I love doing it, not because I need to be competitive or um, I feel like winning or whatever, but uh, I just want to get that practice for when I do fill out my weight class. And then I think then we'll have potential to, you know, whether I swap back to the IPF feds or whatever to be competitive, um, then I think we'll there'll be less of a, fo a focus on hypertrophy and, and then obviously getting more technically proficient. But until then, I have, you know, three kilos of muscle mass to still put on, you know, five even, and then we cut back for a comp, you know, so we haven't cut yet at all. We haven't done a weight cut at all for a comp. Um, I think we have nationals in september so i think that's probably going to be our first weight cut um and just because i like i've said before i don't see any point in doing it if you aren't competitive don't cut weight um there's definitely other people who have said that too um but yeah maybe we trained at 112 113 and and i and i cut back to a lean i'd like to be a lean 110 and you've you've said you'd like to see it too uh i definitely made the mistake of going from 90 something to 100 and something kilos a little bit too quickly and we sort of lost some body composi uh, composition in the last about a year ago when i started doing it uh but yeah i would definitely like to fill out the weight class and i think that volume has helped so much we've seen uh massive gains in my upper body and specifically my quads as well and i'm sure soon we'll see the hamstrings as well um 
but yeah, that's sort of how I, how I look at how we're doing things as well. Yeah. And I mean, just to cap that off, like uh, you sort of said it anyway, that you still got technical improvements from the single work. And that's essentially, if you're going to get gains from singles, it's coming from that technical adaptation and that becomes more and more valuable. Like it is valuable and it becomes more and more valuable, essentially the stronger you get. So the, the heavier that weight gets and the more, you know, intermediate and elite you get, the amount you can leak from the technical adjustments versus muscle gains and general strength starts to tip that technical way. So you just need to weigh up like, where am I at and what am I going to get most of my value from? And just having the ratios balanced because you can only do so much. So where am I going to, where am I going to put my training to get the most value? Mm. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so throughout prep, we saw, uh, deadlifts moved linearly um it was amazing so we started off 210 and you were guessing about an rp8 uh first week i ended up doing rp6 so from the very start we were way ahead of schedule um things were moving great uh, and we, i tend to take a little bit longer to um uh get acclimatized to stuff so for example in our volume blocks we've done you know we've gone from starting 120 kilos on bench and ended up to working up to a top set of like 145 on bench. And for me, it's very much like exponential in that it's, you know, it's average, average, average. And then the last one or two weeks are really, really good of the volume block. Uh, I tend to take a little bit to get used to it. So for deadlifts to go great from the very first week, uh, we sort of knew this is going to go really well. Um, we, we continued to see that, you know, I went to 10, to 15, to 20. We, st we made it to 500 pounds, 226 at an RP7. So we started RP6, we added, uh, what was that, like 15 kilos? Yeah. Only went up one RPE over a period of four weeks. And then we hit the 250 uh, as the last heavy single. That was after, that was week four. So three weeks out, we hit the 250. Uh, that was a 10 kilo PR for me and not RP 9.5. It wasn't a grinder. So we were happy with the speed of it. Form was a bit off. Um, so after that, we, I said, Hey, like, I think, I think I shot my knees back too fast. And so we sort of, we made a bit of a plan to focus on that, uh, during the, the following couple of weeks during the taper. Uh, and we definitely did. I saw, um, one, uh, right towards the end, my form definitely improved. And on the day I ended up grinding out 255 and we saw the same issue with the knees shooting back. But I mean, it doesn't bother me that much. It's just one thing that I am going to work on now in the off season. Obviously during a prep, there isn't much time to, you know, like I wasn't going to change my whole form two weeks out. So I kind of expected that same knee shooting back on the deadlift issue and um, some, some more rounding that I would have liked, but that's just something that I'll focus on more is driving the, the knees forward in the off season. Um, but yeah, so we were super happy with how deadlifts went because that was actually the first time we'd seen it start really good and finish really good. Usually we start pretty rough and it finishes good. Uh, so that was a huge boost for me. Um, were you kind of surprised how well things moved, particularly in the first four weeks because we saw the RP like did not move at all? Yeah, it probably took me a little bit by surprise in terms of how low the RP 
was. Um, but in terms of it going like staying good the whole time, I was confident of that because of what we'd done in those first four to six months. I think the reason we'd had that issue before is we just couldn't figure out how much he could handle. And um, and then because we spent all that time, I was confident that we were going to be able to keep it good. But it did surprise me at how low the RPE was. I thought it would be a little bit higher. Um, but, yeah, that's obviously awesome. So um, yeah. that, that also has to do with you just putting on more muscle and getting bigger. And, and then by the time we did that, I was probably underestimating how much he'd gained in that time period. Um, I think it was about yeah, that's obviously- I think it was about two and a half kilos, um, and I would I would say most of it was muscle because we did so much volume. Uh, obviously, not all of it, but I've definitely seen the quads grow, and I don't know, probably my upper body as well. Particularly the quads because we sort of I noticed because I had very small quads and the knees were shooting back in the squad, blah, 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 to now where uh, I actually feel like my quads have grown and the knees are staying forward. So, you know, I'd like to think a kilo of quads, whatever. Um, But yeah, so I definitely grew quite a bit in that off season, although I only weighed in two kilos heavier six months later. Uh, I think we were, I was 106 in August and I weighed in 108 uh, in March this month. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely saw the volume and it felt good to come into the prep knowing I'd done so much hard work. So like the prep was easy for me, uh, the way you wrote it, the way I executed things, it was really easy for me. Um, not saying the weights were, but mentally, um, and also just how things were flowing and gaining momentum because I'd already done that three to four months or five months, whatever it was of that really hard volume work where, I was quite beat up and we were still getting that perfect amount of volume. And even when we did nail it, it was still hard. Like we still did the six rep maxes and stuff and that's all hard stuff. Um, But then I came in feeling fresh and feeling like I had a really good base behind me. And I don't know if we would have achieved that if we had done singles in the off season. I think the way we did it really works for me. And one of the, I guess one of the downsides to not doing singles regularly is that uh, it took me, it probably took me four weeks to nail my technique during this prep. So I only really saw and felt comfortable with my technique uh, week three, four, five, whereas the first week, couple of weeks I was, and with squats particularly, uh, you saw how long it took with squats because they peaked perfectly, but really late. Um, so for the first few weeks of prep, we started at 170, uh, and my last weekly single was 205. So that's a 35 kilo, um, increase over a few weeks. And the RP was great. Like we were super happy with that 205. And then obviously last heavy single, we hit 222. Um, but yeah, squat particularly, I saw it take quite a while to come back. And I think that was because we spent most of the off-season on the safety bar. And obviously, it paid off big time. But I think one of the sacrifices that I have to make is uh, we sacrifice a little bit of technical proficiency for a little bit more volume and a little bit more uh, like specific hypertrophy that you think that I need. So for me, it was the quads and whatever. Yeah, I think... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, I just think as long as you give yourself enough time coming back into it, which is what we did, eight weeks is a fair bit of technical time. Um, And we also did 
low bar back offs and we did some tempo low bars so we could spend time refining and establishing the center of mass with the low bar versus the high bar. Um, I expected it to be garbage for you for a while, but yeah, it, eight, eight weeks I think is is long enough and it proved proved to be the case. Yeah, I would agree. So um, bench was actually the one where I actually had some issues, you know, deadlifts, like I said, was linearly improving, squats, uh, I had faith they would come back, but my technique felt, you know, pretty good by week three or four on squats. It just, the weights didn't feel as good as I wanted right till the end. Um, but bench particularly, I had some issues with, and we've spoken about this, is um, the winging, I mean, the pulling my elbows in too close to my body. Um, so right before, uh, right before comp, uh, well, not right before comp. In December, I failed 170 and I didn't post that on Instagram so none of you would know that. Um, I was embarrassed. I failed 170 and looking back, it was because uh, that was the week that you gave me the option. You said, like, we can do a triple or we, you can do a single. Um, I ended up, sorry, I ended up picking to do a triple and then a week later, I was like, oh, I can do the single now as well and obviously, didn't the single didn't work out. Um we still hit a nice. That was when I did the 150 triple on bench. Uh, and I failed the single. It was now looking back, I'm thinking it was obviously the fatigue, but my technique in the last three, like in the last few weeks has changed more to winging a bit more and stacking better. So stacking my wrists over my elbows. And I feel like that's something that uh, people don't know is really beneficial obviously just the way the biomechanics work and the way that force production works uh, when joints are stacked over each other you can produce more force uh, and so in the la in the first few weeks of prep i was you know bench isn't feeling that good and i knew it was fatigue but i knew something was up uh so i you know we, we took that side video and i sent it to you and you said yeah you're definitely um uh from the side so my elbows were too far under and then we said, okay, let's swap that up a bit. So we winged a little bit more and uh, it definitely took some pressure off my joints because just because they're in a more optimal position. And uh, by the end of prep, I was able to grind out that 170 without losing it at the chest. And I think it was all attributed to the winging of the elbows. Um, I see like a lot of people want to bring them in really close and have that big arch style bench. Um, but for me, uh, that was what I needed and it ended up paying off really well. Yeah, and I think this is that's a good example of where singles are really useful. So we established his break point and saw that in the elbow position. So like you said, I tend to lean more towards a flared elbow and utilizing them because it's going to utilize your chest. You're going to get a better stack position. You can use your muscle mass. In saying that, there's lots of different ways to bench press. So you see Japanese style bench pressing does the exact opposite, but that's a, an efficiency style bench press. Mm. And you're, you're not, you're trying to make things as efficient as possible, which it also works. But in your case, you're not that efficient like that technique. So we were essentially losing the ability to use your muscle without getting that efficient. So as you would come off your chest and it slows down, you just, you're not going to have to grind through it when you're in that sticking point for you. So I don't think we would have seen it as well without that heavy single. And that's where, that's where that stuff is useful for sure, because we can see your buckle point. 
um, and that gave us the ability to use that. Um, that's also something in comp two that in your warm-ups and then on your 170, even though you grinded it, that's yeah. something in person. Yeah, it was way better because you can mm. use your chest, you can stay stacked, but I also saw some technical aspects there that we can keep working on mm. that I don't think I would have seen at lighter weights. So what was the, I forget what you told me and, and I looked about my shoulder. What did you say that my, my left shoulder is no good at? Oh, uh, and that's the right shoulder. Right shoulder. Um, so it's actually, it's the, it's the same thing essentially. Um, your right sits way more retracted and externally rotates. So you're essentially dumping on that side and you see the bar tilt to the right. Yeah. That's usually a bit of a dead giveaway if people are benching and the bar's crooked. Um, but as you came off your chest, this right one's further back, the elbow buckles under more. We're not getting that power out of your serratus, out of your internal rotators like your chest and your subscap to keep that bar sort of projected forward and inwards. We're losing that and it's it's essentially falling inwards a little bit. Um, but we're only seeing that at the top, top, top end and that's why you could still grind it. So it's not as if the difference is massive, but there was a little bit there and that's when I was like, okay, cool. That's what we're going to work on as well in this next block. Yeah. Um, just to give you a bit more drive. And particularly when we were warming up on the day, you noted that my shoulder was bad. I think we were warming up at about 140. So my, my last uh, bench out the back. And uh, when you when you said that to me, I was like, I really snapped into it. And I was like, okay, so when I went and hit my opener, I really tried to stack better. Um, and I haven't really taken a good look at the opener video, but I have watched the 170 a couple of times uh, just because of in disbelief, but also because the efficiency was there and looking back, um, the bar is... Um, so I bench with my hands slightly back so the bar can sit directly over my elbow. I don't, you know, some people like to have, the, you, know, you see them benching in their bars all the way back here or whatever. So I... I sit it right on my in my palm and it's directly over my elbow. And in the video, it's really vertical. Um, and I think, like I said, that was how I was able to grind that 170. The backstory to the 170 is um, it was my last heavy single. It was three reds, obviously, something I've wanted to hit for ages. Um, even in competition, it's not three reds because of the collars. The, the 170 is three reds. So I hit it as my last heavy single, moved really, really well. Um, that last taper single, so five days out, you gave me a range depending on how I was feeling. I got a little bit cocky and took the top end of the range. Uh, and, you know, I still hit the single, but it was slower than we, slower than we wanted. The 160 was slower than we wanted. Um, so lost a little bit of confidence, but that was on my own accord. That was my fault. Um, it honestly moved slower than I expected. So I didn't purposely do it. Um, but yeah, so coming into comp, a little bit of a shot to the bench confidence, uh, especially after squatting on the squat bar, bench warmups, uh, I could tell they were slower than when I hit the 170 the first time. So already I'm feeling like fatigued, I've just done heavy squats, um, we're in competition, but I still had that 170 in mind. So 155 opener, I could tell straight away, heavier. And I thought, okay, maybe it was because it was the first time uh, with competition calls. And I was like, okay. So I put like put it aside, I'm still feeling good. Let's go hit the 165. I had confidence, 
that I just wasn't used to the, the calls that that head judge was making. So then we hit the 165 and it's, I wouldn't call it a grinder, um, but I certainly couldn't have doubled it. So I certainly wouldn't have been able to do that for a double. It was definitely like RPE 9.5. So that's second attempt. And I'm thinking, shit, like I'm pretty upset about that. Um, obviously, because I was really attached to that 170. And I can't remember exactly what you said to me. Um, I was um, I was leaning towards putting 167 on the, on the bar. I said, I think I said to you, do you want 167 or 170? And yes. you're like, fuck it, 170. Yeah. So, which I was like, you know what? Fair enough. I'd, I'd probably do mm. the same thing. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, I just, before we took that next, before you actually took the 170, I was like, it's going to slow down for sure. You just keep like, I know it seems so logical, but I was like, just keep driving. Because often mm. if it slows down, people, you do see them get a little bit scared and they almost stop pushing and mm. just like, oh, like, like go to the bar. And I was like, you you'll get this, but you're going to have to stick with this. This mm. is not going to just pop off your chest. Yeah. And so we had a long flight of uh, bench because there's a couple of bench only guys. So this is a big comp too. So I think there was maybe like 17 benches. So uh, if you, you know, that's about 18 minutes, 19 minutes between attempts. Oh, uh, it was massive. Which right? is yeah, it's huge. way too long, way more than I've ever done because in the gym, I maybe rest five, six minutes in my home gym. Uh, so yeah, 17 minute, 18 minute rest between second and third attempt bench press. Um, I essentially, after how like 165 felt like a grinder in the video, it's like, it's not that slow, uh, it, but it felt really hard to me. Uh, and obviously like then the confidence is gone and I'm like, shit. Um, and you said to me like that stuff that you just said and you're like, you're going to have to get hyped up for this one because I'm a pretty calm lifter. Uh, I, I purposely got hyped up for this comp just to see how it worked for me. Um, so I went back and I sat and I literally just stared in the mirror for like 15 minutes, just not talking to anyone, not doing anything. Um, just like 15 minutes. I don't know. I think I had like Thunderstruck or some ACDC playing. And I literally just tunnel vision. Um, so then we went back out after a way too long of a rest and the 170, honestly, it was it went better than um, I expected. I honestly, like when I first did the 165, I was like, I'm gonna fail 170. Even after I told you to load 170, I was like, I'm probably gonna fail it. But then I, like I said, went back and just like got proper in the zone for like the first time at comp, um, and sort of my whole mindset changed from shit, I'm gonna miss 170 to like, I've done it before, I'll do it right now. I uh, got hyped up. And I ended up hitting it and obviously RP 10, like it was slow, but like you said, I stuck with it. Um, and that, and I didn't lose any positioning. And I think that's, like I said, accredited to that winging more of the elbows and having a better stacked position. Cause I was able to keep driving rather than just lose positioning in cave. Um, but yeah, that was fun. Like first RP 10 comp single at the time. And I hit the 170 that I wanted. Uh, our approach going into comp, which is we haven't said yet, was, um, and I think this is quite common, it's don't go as hard on squats. So if I had to take RP9 third attempt on squats, I was happy to do that. So, sorry. Uh, the 225 was like RP9.5, RP9, like it really wasn't that hard. Uh, and for me, with just the way that I'm built, I will cramp up terrible after squats uh, 
if if they're really hard. So, you know, I think 230 was there for a squat, but if we had taken 230, um, I would have missed that 170 bench. And in hindsight, I would have probably missed my third deadlift as well, but I'll get to that. Um, and that was something that we spoke about the whole time was taking an easy opener, uh, an easy second attempt and you know like a relatively hard third attempt on squats and we did that and it paid off uh, but like yeah I think if we had a gone heavier on squats I probably would have failed my third attempt bench yeah I tend to agree and I, I think um, in your case <clears throat> the other important part of this was that you had also goals within the comp which was to hit a 170 bench and to get a 650 total so I think you were always going to leak a few more kilos from your, from your uh, bench and your deadlift. So it was just a case of parking squat in a, in a good amount, but making sure that we're a solid five kilos off what would have been difficult. Mm. Just so then at the end with the deadlift, if you happen to be feeling a bit better, like let's say 170 bench moved well and you weren't that tired, we could have chucked an extra five on the deadlift if mm. we wanted to. But it ended up being the opposite, which was... We got the goal of the 170 bench. We took five kilos off the deadlift. Yeah, so ideally I would have deadlifted 260 and historically we can see that I can usually hit a 10 kilo PR on deadlifts, which is like obviously uh, would be ridiculous of me to continue asking for a 10 kilo PR. But in the last few peaks, in the last couple of comps, the last couple of mock meets, whatever, we've hit a 10 kilo deadlift PR. Um which is awesome, and that's what I wanted on the day. We thought we'd go 250 last heavy single, 260 in comp. Um, we didn't end up taking 260. I ended up loading 255. Um, what actually happened if... Uh, so, sorry, my dog. Uh, so, Scott, uh, as you said, you're a physio. Scott had to go after bench, and he went and did... You did injury prevention for the... What was it? Who was yeah, it? Yeah, it was like a foot... Uh, futsal club uh, we're just doing a bunch of like player yeah. screening stuff in the yeah. afternoon okay so scott's all like obviously got to prioritize his job over um my comp and whatever so he went and did that uh i was left in the hands of one of my mates kieran who's who ended up helping me heaps um so when scott left he's like just you know be smart with your attempt selection he ran me over like when to take my last warm-ups and stuff um, and he's like, just be clever with the way that you attempt your second and third. So we opened with my competition max 232. Uh, it was slower than I would have liked. Um, so straight off the bat, I was like, okay, uh, let's load 247. We were going to jump to 250. Uh, like that was the plan before comp. So we load 247 and it's relatively hard. So the goal was 260 and obviously I was going to base it off my second attempt. Uh, if 247 had a move better, I would have loaded 260. Uh, 247, like relatively hard, RP9 for sure. So I was like to Kieran, what do you think? He's like 255. Uh, you said, Scott, later on that that attempt selection was great. But I think, yeah, I would have failed 260 because as we saw, the 255 was a grinder. And this all ties back in with the squat. You know, like I barely made that deadlift. I barely made that bench. Um, although we got white lights, like it was our proper RPE 10. So I think if we had taken that heavier squat, we would have seen potentially missing both third attempts, deadlift and bench. Yeah, I think um, it just times well for 
for a competition in general, obviously keeping a bit in the tank so you can push harder at the end of it. Um, you know, if you push super hard at the start, tend to blow your load early, and then you got nothing left at mm. the end. Um, in saying that, obviously, if you want a squat record or you're a squat specialist, different different mm. kettle of fish. But in your case, it's it suits perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm going to run for uni soon, but before we wrap up, I wanted to talk, I wanted to, because we haven't had a great, uh, big discussion about this. Um, so comp was on Sunday. I should have said to Scott, I'll just, I'm at uni. So I was like, I'll just train however this week. Um, you know, and so I've just done a couple of sessions, a couple of easy sessions, super low volume, treat it as a deload. I'm not one of those people who's going to bounce after comp and go bumper plates and straps and pull some ridiculous deadlift single. Uh, I'm sick of I'm sick of seeing uh, like honestly people will come out of comp and they'll go swap up equipment you know the easier stuff you know if they're stiff bar pullers they'll go pull on the deadlift bar. Unlike uh, it's just to me the risk of injury is too high and stuff. But whatever. So I bounce back. Uh, body's feeling good. I have a really easy week. Um, what are we going to do? So we're six months out from nationals in September. What do you think we're going to do? Because we actually haven't spoken that much about the off season yet. Um, I reckon we split it pretty much down the line into three months and three months. So that next three, that this next three months work on those areas, pretty much that we discussed for each lift um, and then switch, essentially switch into a comp. On prep we'll probably have like we won't do 12 weeks straight prep so we'll probably do like a four week i guess introduction block to that where we increase the intensity a bit and drop the um volume. drop the volume and just start to have like a change um because eight weeks worked well for you so i think we'll mm. do that approach like three one and then eight weeks so um, two two six week blocks a four week and an eight week yeah loosely um yeah loosely but in terms of those six week blocks we'll just we'll deload you when you need to in that timeline just listen to your body but we'll aim roughly for that sort of like three month period so it'll probably be two two longer blocks um mm. a shorter block where we introduce you again to more specific comp work and then at eight week i think um and i think i'm really excited for this off season too because we spent the last off season getting the volume perfect and getting to know uh, me as a lifter and how we work together. And we spent most of the time doing that. Uh, so I think now that we've got that pretty much down pat, I'm really excited to go into the off season knowing, and particularly with you knowing how I am, how I am as a lifter, how I am with volume, because that way we don't have to spend any time figuring it out. We can jump straight into the off season knowing how I'm going to react like, you know, not knowing, but having a pretty good idea and spending, like you said, 12 full weeks just smashing as much as I can uh, without tanking, like we said, my lumbar, whatever, uh, because I think that's going to be completely different to the last off season where we were kind of, you were trying not to push it too much and, uh, you know, we had yeah. to pull a pull back a couple of times on dead. So I think this off season is, I'm really excited for it for that exact reason. Yeah, and I think, you know, it is important to note that the volume that someone can handle does change over time as they get stronger, mm. but it's not going to be this massive rapid change no. that we can't keep up with. Yeah. So we've got a pretty established base and we can just slowly adjust um, as we need to. 
and I yeah, and I don't think I'm at that stage yet where you know like as for example with you, you can obviously handle. Um, I would say that like you're the you know um, what's the you're not an intermediate lifter. You're like what's the stage after whatever it's called advanced lifter where um, getting closer to that peak of your training career and so obviously you need like heaps more volume or heaps more specificity to progress but i'm still beginner maybe intermediate lifter where uh we're still seeing like big prs and so i simply do not need as much volume as scott um but yeah i'm i'm excited in that way and and also now that like i feel like i've done a few comps i'm confident now on the day, like there was no nerves. I was sort of, um, dialed in. I could, you know, now I've had that experience. I'm, and obviously it's going to be a different environment at nationals, but still I'm feeling much more comfortable and confident in myself now that we've figured those things out. Yeah. And I'm feeling more confident too, from a coaching aspect, because I know what you can do and I've seen you grind certain lifts now. And yeah, I'm going to be more confident with that ability mm. to push competition so not just to go nine for nine but if we need to win something mm. you know i've got a good idea where we can get an extra few kilos from and in saying that i honestly would not expect any competition at nationals and not saying that i'm further ahead than people but simply because i literally don't know any teen 110 kilo lifters uh any tested teen 110 kilo lifters in the APL. Um, so I think after this comp, after nationals in the APL, I'm seriously going to consider, uh, and depending where my lifts are at, I'm probably going to consider next year potentially swapping back to the APU, so the IPF Federation, because uh, there's obviously heaps of competition in the 110s there. Um, but yeah, so that's roughly the plan, like do well at nationals. Uh, if I still feel like I have much more room to grow, uh, I'll hold off on swapping to a competitive federation. I'm not in any rush. Uh, I'm uh, very confident in the the long-term plan that we have for me. And I'm not, yeah, like I said, I'm not in a rush to jump into some crazy competitive stuff where I have to do cuts and, you know, like load ridiculous third attempts and that sort of thing. I feel like it's just, it's like playing the long game and that's what we're doing and, um, as a physio, you obviously understand that really well, like how the body progresses and how much it can handle over a period of time. And I think it would be silly for me to jump, for example, to jump back into the APU right now because I'm still not going to be competitive against, for example, Abe and other lifters like that. Um, yet it's just going to be harder on my body with the stiff bar and stuff. So yeah, I think the plan we have is really good. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man. I think, uh, look, you could you could go either way. You could jump in earlier if you want, or you can take your time. I, I, mm. As long as we have a clear stra clear strategy, that's mm. really nice. Exactly. Um, yeah, I've got to bounce for uni and stuff now. Uh, thanks cool, cool. heaps for coming on, Scott. Uh, I hope you guys listening uh, learned something. I hope if you're uh, learning coaching that you're, you're sort of picked up on some of the stuff that we spoke about. Um, as, a, as someone who's getting into coaching now, I learn a heap from Scott and I learn heaps from seeing how I react to stuff. I don't coach anyone who reacts the way that I do to volume. Uh, I think if I did, I would have a pretty good idea of how to handle it now just because we've spent so much time figuring it out. Um, but yeah, like I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, yeah, thanks heaps, Scott, for coming on.
No worries. Thanks for having me, mate. Um, yeah, go check us out if you want on Instagram. Um, I'm terrible on it, but yeah, give us a follow. No, no, no. I'll, uh, yeah, I'll tag Scott. Yeah, if you're in Australia, if you're in Brisbane or the Gold Coast, Scott's Physio Clinic is in Brisbane City. Uh, I'll, t- I'll put your Instagram on the post that I make. Yeah, if you're around and you need uh, any, any help physiologically, go see Scotty in Brisbane. Cool. Thanks, Thanks man. guys. Catch you. Have-